Amen. You be seated. I hope you have been blessed already as we have uh, seen our beautiful children singing about God's grace. Um, that is worth the price of admission. Um, you, we've celebrated baptism together, which is a, a, a great privilege and a joy to see as a church family. And then now we get to open God's Word together. So if you have your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. Now, it's been a great VBS week. If I'm tired, it's because I've been chasing kids all week and I haven't had nearly enough coffee, but that's okay. Um, all the rest of you volunteers know what that's been about all week. What I thought it would, I thought it would be encouraging today and to our children and volunteers if we all just participated in VBS a little bit this morning and continued learning what they have been learning about from Ephesians 2. Now, the theme of VBS, as, you, as you've heard sung, Spark Studio. Many of you have been singing that, at, heard that singing. You've, you've been hearing your children sing that in your cars all week long, singing it outside. You just can't get those songs out of your head. Um, and so I know they didn't stop singing when they left the church building. At least mine didn't. But Spark Studios was all about God's purposes in creating us in designing us, in redeeming us, and filling us for his purposes. So I'll give you just a brief overview of what our kids learned. On day one, we studied that God was the creator. Now, we see this from Genesis 1 all the way through the rest of the scriptures, that God created all things. It is God who has made all things. And we studied how King David, in Psalm 104 particularly, David understood his place in light of God as creator. That God had created all things and God was the ultimate king. Even though David was king, God was ultimately king over all that he had made. On day two, we looked at the fact that God not only creates, he's the reason everything exists, but God has designed everything. He has purposefully and intentionally designed all things for his purposes. That he had created and designed David out of all the people of Israel and out of all of his brothers to be king over Israel. That God had shaped David from his childhood as a shepherd so that he could shepherd his people Israel. In fact, God even says about David that God had shaped him to be, to have a, to be a man after his own heart. What a testimony. On day three... We, the, the kids study that Jesus is the king. So God is the creator, God is the designer, and Jesus is the king. Now God had promised all throughout the Old Testament, and especially to David, that God would send another king from among David's descendants who would not simply save them from like geographic or political enemies like the Philistines or the Romans, but he would actually come and save them from their sin. That's, who, that's what Jesus came to do. And, and so, that promised king was, was Christ Jesus who was born into David's line. And many people, many people 2,000 years ago recognized Jesus as that promised king. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, during Passover week, they shouted something. All the kids should remember this. What did they shout when Jesus rode in on the donkey? Hosanna! That's what they shouted. Now listen, this is what they said in totality. Hosanna to the son of David. He's the king. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
Hosanna means save us. Save us, descendant of David, rightful king. And then on day four, the kids study that Jesus is the redeemer. He's not just a king. He is a redeemer. He wasn't just the rule over us. He was to redeem us from our sin. And Jesus went to the cross bearing our sin and shame to redeem us from the curse of the law and of sin. And we know that he accomplished his mission because on the third day, he rose again. And because of the resurrection, we know that Jesus is God's king and redeemer. And on the fifth day, we studied that the Holy Spirit is the helper who has come to fill us and animate us for God's purpose. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and sent to them, gave to them the promised Holy Spirit to live in them and give them the strength and boldness that they needed. And now, even 2,000 years later, Jesus continues to send his, his disciples into the world in the same way he was sent. We are sent into the world the same way Jesus was sent. Well, how was that? He was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with love, with the gospel of grace for all people. That's who we are. And so God created us, designed us, came for us in Jesus, saved us and redeemed us, and gave us his spirit to accomplish his mission. And one day he's returning. And that is the story of the whole Bible. I could say amen right there and pray, and we could go to the Mexican restaurant. That would make a lot of you happy, but I'm not going to do that because I still got a little bit left, all right? So this morning, I hope to preach a simple message that reinforces those key ideas. So turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verses 8 through 10. Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this morning, my title is God's Workmanship, and I want to basically give you two main points about what makes us God's workmanship. The first thing that makes us God's workmanship is this. We, as God's people, as Christ's disciples, as believers, are saved by grace. We're saved by grace. In verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one, bo so that no one may boast. So here's the first question I want to ask here. How are we not saved? How are we not saved? Well, Paul basically says here, you are not saved by your own doing. That's what it says. You are not saved by your own doing. You are not saved by works of the law. You are not saved by the things that you do. And, the, and you ask, well, why not? Why not, Paul? Why can, I, why can it not be of my own doing? Why can it not be my, my own works? Paul says the reason is because you cannot boast. No one is saved so that they can boast in themselves. That is the reason we cannot be saved by works or by our own doing. God refuses to let sinful people boast in pride. Now, boasting goes to the heart 
of who we are. It goes to the heart of our sinful condition. Hear me. If we were saved by any contribution from ourselves, any contribution, then eternity would be filled with jealous, envious boasters. Think about that for a second. Eternity would be filled with people boasting, not in the grace of Jesus, but in themselves, that I deserve to be here more than you. I deserve it. I have earned it. It is mine. If we could save ourselves, hear it this way. So anyway, heaven would be filled with jealous, envious boasters who would ultimately continue to steal glory from God and pour it on themselves. And if we could save ourselves, we would be our own workmanship. We would be our own workmanship. We wouldn't be God's workmanship. We would be our our. We would be our, it would be our own. It would be like we would all be saying, "Look at me," instead of "Look at God's grace in Christ." So, if we're not saved by works and by our own doing, how then are we saved? And the simple answer supplied by Paul is that we are saved by the sheer and sovereign grace of God. And that is a good place for an amen. There is no other way. There is no other option. You must be saved by grace through faith. And there are two main reasons for that, besides the ones that Paul has outlined here. The first is that God's perfect holiness and righteousness must, must be upheld. We, we sometimes fail to remember that, that God's holiness cannot be violated and His righteous standard must be upheld, and that is a standard to which none of us can attain. That's why it can't be by works of the law and by our own doing, because we can't actually meet the mark if that were the case. God's, stand, God's standard is far too removed from us. Secondly, the reason we can't do that is because of our radical, sinful condition. We don't like to hear about that. But all of Ephesians 2 is built upon our wretched, sinful condition apart from God's grace. Go back, go back to the beginning of chapter 2. Paul doesn't start chapter 2 with really great news. He starts it with really bad news. Look at the beginning of, of chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You're a dead sinner. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I use the word radical. We are radically sinful. The word radical means in the Latin, to the root of. That means we are sinners to the very core of who we are. Radical is it's an important word. That means there is nothing in us, nothing in you or about you that can commend you to God or earn His favor. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, religious, irreligious, American, immigrant. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, well, diseased, able-bodied, crippled, prince, pauper. Paul says that God is holy and righteous and we are under his wrath due to our sin. Now hear me, this is why 
We should rejoice in grace. This is why all of our salvation is of grace. It is God's free, unmerited favor to us in Christ that we receive only when we repent and believe the gospel. And so think about the difference. Heaven is, eternity is not going to be filled with people boasting in their works and in their righteousness and in their goodness. Eternity is going to be filled completely with the undeserving. Those who are there, all of them, worshiping and rejoicing because of grace. God's workmanship by grace for eternity. And that's the thing with your life. You will either be God's workmanship by grace or you will be boasting in your own merit and your own goodness. And only one of those gets to experience the grace of God found in Jesus. But the second thing that makes us God's workmanship is that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That makes us his workmanship. Look what he says in verse 10. Notice every word. For we, these are believers, the saints in Ephesus, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now the first word Paul uses to describe those of us who have been saved by grace is workmanship. We are his workmanship, not ours. We are his workmanship. Now the Greek word there is the word poema. It's the word that means that which has been made. It's workmanship. It's the same Greek word where we get the English word poem. Now, poem is too limited of a term. The word would be better translated as masterpiece or as God's workmanship or work of art. So this carries the idea that we are God's work of art, His workmanship, created. That's what he says. We are His workmanship that has been created, the masterpiece that God Himself has been made. Now, the Bible says that. Over and over. Listen to Psalm 100. It says, Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It is God who has made us, He has created us. Isaiah 43 makes it even clearer. Ephesians, uh, uh, sorry, Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says, Bring my sons. And daughters from afar, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So God even tells us the purpose for which we were created, for his glory. Now, just think about this. Everything around us has been created by God for a purpose. Think about this. Our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth, our heart. All the systems of our body, all of the animals, all of the sun, moon, and stars, everything in existence moving with God's purpose. And as human beings made in God's image, reflecting God, what do we do? We continue to create things with a purpose in mind. We cannot escape this reality no matter how much we try to convince our, or deceive ourselves of this truth. It is self-evident. Everything around us has a purpose. Now, one of my favorite things as a parent, my parents in the room, one of my favorite things as a parent is getting to explain to my children the proper purpose for which things have been made. They had a ceiling fan. 
is not made for you to hang on and go in a circle. You will break it. It was not designed. I'm, I'm giving them like a, a basically a bachelor in, in, in engineering. The cabinets on the, on the drawers in the cabinets are not made to hang on and swing on. That wood and that screw does not have the proper strength ratio or whatever engineering term you'd like to use there to hold you up as you swing on it, right? That is not what it was made for. We tell our kids and teach our kids that everything has a purpose. That plunger was made to do a job. It was not made to put on your head. Do you know what that was for? So, we know this. We intuitively know this. And when something, is, including our lives, hear me, including our lives, when we, use some, when we don't use something for its intended purpose, then the very meaning of its existence is called into question. Is it any wonder that this brings confusion or shame or despair or hopelessness or death? Let me quote you some lyrics from the famous American philosopher Dave Matthews. From his song, one of my favorites, Big-Eyed Fish. This is what Dave Matthews sings. He says, look at this big-eyed fish swimming in the sea. Oh, how it dreams to be a bird swooping, diving through the breeze. So one day, it caught a big old wave up onto the beach. Now it's dead, you see. Beneath the sea is where a fish should be. And then he goes on to say, you see this crazy man decided not to breathe? He turned red, then blue, purple, colorful indeed. No matter how his friends begged and pleaded, the man would not concede. And now he's dead, you see. The silly man should know you've got to breathe. And then he says this, but oh God, under the weight of life, things seem brighter on the other side. Even Dave Matthews knows that everything was created for a purpose. You see, we intuitively know and understand this, no matter how much we push against it. We know it, the world knows it, and our, because we look around and we see that our world is brimming with purpose, not chaos. We live in an orderly, principled, moral, governed universe. Everyone intuitively knows this, governed by the laws of physics, the laws of nature, and the laws of morality. You can't escape it. But here's the truth. For the believer, for the believer, Paul doesn't just stop at that truth. He digs down deeper. We're not simply God's masterpiece because he created us. Look what he says. He, sa he adds a modifier to created. He says we are created in Christ Jesus. This is what makes us God's masterpiece. The pinnacle of God's masterpiece isn't simply creation and the laws of the universe and nature. It's the new creation of taking a dead rebel sinner and making them new in Jesus. Those, are, those that are in Christ are God's highest masterpiece because they're twice created. They are twice born. They are saved not only in this life but for the life to come. If you were to turn to the end of Ephesians, you'll see that Paul picks up on that again. And he says this. He tells us not to live like our old nature, which is corrupted and, and living for itself, he says, but to put off the old self. And then he says this. 
and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Or as my, one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are what? They are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So for those of us that are in Christ, created in Christ Jesus, we are born again. We are regenerated. We have been given new life. We have a new identity in Christ. We're united with Him. As we saw in baptism, we are united with Him, buried with Him, raised with Him, filled with His Spirit to walk newly with Him. And then notice what Paul goes on to say. He says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Again, this shows us the, that this shows us the intentionality of God, that, that God's purposes are to be made known in our lives. He created us as a masterpiece for the purpose of good works. He did it according to his plan. And you might ask, well, Jacob, what are those good works? What are those good works? That's a great question. Let me say it this way as simply as I can. You can write this down. To say it as simply as possible, it is any work that demonstrates God's workmanship. We are created for good works, and that is any work that reflects the true nature and character of God in this world. Workmanship means something that demonstrates the character and work of the craftsman. We call it craftsmanship, right? That says something about the character, the nature, the hard work, the integrity, the attention to detail, the precision, the artistry of the master. That's what a masterpiece is. So we are called, we are called to do those things that demonstrate the character, glory, and grace of our creator, designer, and redeemer. So I'm not going to make it easy for you to just list something like love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you should do that. That's a good work. That's how God loves us. We're to do those things. We are to live and love and act in such a way that shows the world that we are Christ. That we belong to him and that he is molding us and shaping us into his image every day. Michelangelo was famously asked one time what he was doing with a big block of marble. And he said, I am liberating an angel from this marble. That means he was going to chip away everything that didn't look like the angel. And that's what God is doing in us to make us look more like Jesus. God's spirit is chipping away everything in us that does not look like him. So we are to live and love in such a way that we show the world that we are Christ. And we do that by making him known in our daily lives and by living for his glory and not for our own from day to day. Boasting in him and his grace and not in our own. And that's what it means at the end of verse 12 when he says that we should walk in them. Jesus says, let your light so shine before others that they may see what? Your good works. And give glory where? To you? No, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Created, designed, redeemed, filled with God's Spirit so that God would be glorified. 
Now let me conclude this way. Jesus ties all of this together in John 14. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And this is, this is a conversation he has in John 14 with his disciples. He says this. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever believes in me. Listen. Listen carefully to every word Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. If you believe in me, you will do what I do. Now, I'm not talking about us going out and doing miracles and raising the dead and all of that. There was more to Jesus' ministry than that. But listen to what he goes on to say. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name... This will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And he says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus ties all of that together, and he says, if you believe in me, you're going to live like I live. You will be my masterpiece, and I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send you the Spirit, and in the Spirit you are going to walk after me and obey me, demonstrating to the world you belong to me and you're my masterpiece. Now the question I have as we wrap this up, the question is, have you been created anew in Christ? Have you received this salvation by grace through faith? Or are you trying to earn it? Are you sitting here going, God will accept me because I come to church. God will accept me because I walked an aisle or because I got into a baptistry. God will accept me because I give a little money. God will accept me because I teach Sunday school. That's all salvation by works so that I can boast. Or have you come to Jesus in simple repentance and faith saying, I have nothing to offer but my sin and I want to receive grace. So that for all eternity, I don't look at myself in the mirror and go, oh, Jacob, look how good you've done. But instead, I behold the glory of Jesus and I fall down and say, oh, how great and glorious and gracious my Savior and my King has been to me. And have you been given a new heart and had His Spirit placed within you so that you can accomplish the good works that He has prepared for you? This morning... We're going to have a brief time of invitation. If you don't know Jesus, you've never repented of your sins, come this morning. If you're a child from VBS and you've given your heart to Jesus, then come this morning, bring your family, make that public, and then honor Jesus and follow him by being baptized and demonstrating to the congregation in the world that you belong to Christ. If you're looking for a church home, then we invite you to be a part of ours where we're not perfect, but we are being made more into the image of Jesus day by day. If you just need to come and pray, we open up this area to you. Would you pray with me now? Father, we ask that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high, and that your grace would be made known in this place today. Lord, draw near to us now as we sing and as we continue worshiping you for the glory of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name.